Thank you, Leanne. Good morning, Soma Eastside. It's good to be with you as we conclude our series through the book of James. It has been an awesome, awesome adventure to be able to uh, go through this very practical, insightful, and helpful book about how to live your life as a disciple of Jesus. And as we come to this last part of the, the series of the book of James, you could make the argument that this is the most important thing for James. He saves the best for last. And as I was preparing for this, I was reminded about a few months ago, uh, my son and I, my 18-year-old son and I, we watched the movie Saving Private Ryan together. How many of you have seen that movie? It's a brutal film. Uh, it's not for the faint of heart. But it's a story of great sacrifice, great courage, and of men being willing to risk it all, to risk their very lives to go after one, to go after one private who had been the remaining living son of a father and of a mother who had lost everything else. And there was a different feeling for me watching this movie for the second time after 20-something years of not seeing it, sitting next to my 18-year-old son and realizing, wow, he could be enlisted. He could be Private Ryan. And that's really what the heart of today's message is all about. It's the heart of the gospel It's the heart of Jesus. It's the heart of the good shepherd to go after the one who is lost, to go after the wanderer. And so I want to invite you to open up your Bible to James chapter 5, verse 19 through 20, as we read these final words from James, the brother of Jesus, who is writing to the 12 tribes of the diaspora, And he's giving us one final command for us to take on as a disciple of Jesus. James chapter 5, 19 through 20 in the ESV. My brothers, if anyone, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Going after the wayward and the wanderer is at the very heart of the good shepherd. And if you remember Jesus talking about in Luke chapter 15, 4 through 7, he talks about how the good shepherd is willing to leave the 99 to go after the one. That is the mission of the Good Shepherd, and that is the mission that he has given to each and every one of us. Found people, find people. And when one of our family, one of our brothers or sisters, one of our sons or daughters walks away or wanders from the family of faith, we should go after them. Now, I want you to notice as we look at this passage, it says, James says, if anyone among you, and what he's saying there, I think what I believe he's saying is that any one of us could be a wanderer and a wayward soul. 
Any one of us, even the most devout, can become disillusioned. Even the most certain in their faith can become overcome with doubt. Even the most righteous can be tripped up and trapped in sin. It can happen to any one of us. And I, I would believe that there's probably some folks here today that feel like right now you're wandering and you're not alone. The song we sang a little while ago, Come Thou Fount, maybe you know the story behind it. It was written by a man named Robert Robinson. He was born in 1735. When he was eight years old, his dad died. He went through all kinds of trauma in his early years. But as a young man, he came to faith in Christ through the evangelist preaching of George Whitfield. Not long after that, he became a pastor. And at one point in his ministry, he had a church of over 1,000 people. And that day, that was a gigantic, gigantic church. And during that time, he wrote the song, Come Thou Fount. But something happened. We don't know what, but at some point in his faith journey, Robert Robinson became disillusioned. And he fell away from God. And he fell away from the church. Maybe it was some of the trauma from his childhood that came back and knocked him down. Maybe it was church hurt. Maybe it was hypocrisy that he just couldn't seem to reconcile in his heart and his mind. But whatever the reason was, he walked away from God, and he walked away from the church. And many years later, he was in a stagecoach, and a lovely young woman came into the stagecoach that was just filled with a sweet spirit of God. And to fill the air and to fill the time she began to sing a song. You can guess it, right? Come Thou Fount. And after she got done singing this song, she stopped and she looked at Robert Robinson and she said, Sir, what do you think about that song? And he replied, Madam, I am the unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds if I had them, if I could feel now as I felt then. I've noticed a common phenomenon when it comes to singing that song with the people of God. There comes a moment in the song where the voices get louder, where the emotions grow stronger, where there's a visceral response among the people singing it. And it's that point in the song where we begin to sing, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. And the reason why I think that part of the song just captures us so powerfully is because we all know that we are prone to wander. We are all prone to leave the God that we love. And some of you here may be wandering yourself. You're here, you're in church, but in your heart, you're wrestling. In your heart, you're dealing with doubt. In your heart, you're disillusioned and you're struggling with some pain 
that you can't seem to resolve. You're wrestling with whether to continue in your faith. There may be some young people here today that are thinking and saying in, the, in their hearts, as soon as I get out of high school, I'm leaving the church. I'm done with it. You haven't left yet, but your heart is wandering. And if that's where you're at this morning, I just want to say these two words to you. Come back. Come back. Not come back to religion. Come back to Jesus. Not come back to a church building, but come back to the family of God. No matter how far you run away, the return journey is only one step. Why do people leave the church? Why do people leave the faith? Why do people wander? Over the years, I've tried to really seek to understand that why people leave, why people wander. And I've found four reasons. And uh, in pure preacher fashion, they all start with a D. <laughs> Number one, people wander become, because they become disheartened. They become disheartened. Let's be honest. Sometimes when I turn on the news, which I rarely do, and I hear the words evangelical Christianity, I get ready to cringe. Because I know I'm going to see something obnoxious, something hypocritical, and there's a part in us when we see that display of Christianity that we think to ourselves, I don't want to be associated with that. I don't want to be connected with that. I see some heads nodding, right? And, and I think that there, there's probably for many of us a time where we find ourselves uh, in some kind of a movement of God and, and, and we believe, we get excited, our hearts get filled and inspired. Maybe it's a, a church plant that we were a part of. Maybe it's uh, a youth ministry that, that we were excited about. Maybe it's a church organization or a ministry that's doing great things. And then all of a sudden, things don't work out. No matter how hard the church plant tries, it just can't get off the ground. The youth pastor quits. The organization loses its direction. And we become disheartened. And then someone else comes along with a vision. And you just think to yourself, I don't have the heart for it. I just can't get up for this. I'm just, I'm just done. Maybe that's you today. You're weary and you're worn out. Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 says, Let us not grow weary in, in well-doing, for in due time you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. Do not give up. Do not give up. Do not give up on Jesus. Do not give up on the church. Do not give up on the family of God. Do not give up on doing good and following Jesus with your life. Because listen, in due season, you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. Isaiah 40, 31. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. 
They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. The last couple of years, I've heard about this bizarre phenomenon called quiet quitting. Anybody know what that is? Quiet. The fact that we know what that is is so weird, right? So quiet quitting is basically people who make a conscious decision that they're going to continue to collect a paycheck from their job, but they're going to do the absolute bare minimum. They're not going to contribute to meetings. They're not going to do any extra work. And sometimes they're just not even going to show up at all because they're working remotely and they're just going to quit without actually telling anybody. And the sad thing is, is that people have been quiet quitting the church for years and we just don't notice. Like they don't put up a big sign. They don't make a big announcement. I'm done with church. I'm out of it. They just disappear, right? Because they become disheartened. Even youths grow weary. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are. You can get tired and just feel like giving up on God, giving up on church. But listen, if that's you, if you are weary and disheartened, do not give up on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Go to the Lord and find new strength in him. And he will give you what you need to mount up on wings like eagles. People wander because they're disheartened. People wander because they're disillusioned. Their picture of God, their picture of the church has come shattering down by a painful, disappointing, or traumatic experience. Now, us Husky fans in the room can identify with this. Just a month ago, less than a month ago, we were riding sky high. We had beaten Oregon in the Pac-12 championship. We had beaten Texas in the Sugar Bowl. We were number two in the nation. We were going to play for a national championship. We were, we were playing for the coach of the year. It was awesome. And then a span of 96 hours, we lose the national championship. Our coach takes a position at Alabama. And then our program and all the players just start floating out of the, the, the team. And I watched and witnessed grown men, grown men, who said, I will never trust a coach again. I literally, some of you, some of you did this, but I've had people over the last few weeks that have called me to check in to make sure I'm okay. <laughs> Just holding out a lifeline for you. But here's the thing. We've seen this with the rise and fall of Mars Hill. And that story is just emblematic of the same story that has been repeated over and over in thousands of churches across the country over the last several decades. There are thousands around us today in this community that I believe are saying something along the lines of, I still have faith in God, but I will never trust a church or a pastor again. Psalm 118, verse 8 and 9 says, It is better to take refuge in the Lord 
than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. If you put your trust in man, if you put your trust in a preacher, if you put your trust, heaven forbid, in a politician, you're going to be disappointed. We've got to stop putting spiritual men and women on a pedestal, and we need to start putting Jesus on a throne. Our refuge is not in men. Our refuge is in the Lord. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5, My message and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith, listen, would not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. I get really, really nervous when I hear people uh, talking about a pastor or a Christian author or a podcaster in a way that it seems as though that person has been elevated to the point of Scripture. You know what I mean? Like, when all they can say is, well, so-and-so says, so-and-so says, our, our trust is to rest not on men's wisdom, but on God's power. So if you've been disillusioned and lost your trust in men, join the club. But seek your refuge in the Lord and rest on God's power. People wander because they've been disillusioned and they wander because they are distracted. The Apostle Paul had some amazing brothers that he did life and ministry with and sisters as well. And one of those men was a man named Demas. And in one of his, uh, one of his go- or epistles, he talks about what a tremendous blessing Demas is, it, is to him. But somewhere on the way, Demas abandons Paul. Demas leaves Paul. Demas leaves the faith. And what Paul says about it is this. He says, Demas was in love with this present world. Many today are distracted by the things of this present world, and they have lost their first love. I was a youth pastor for many, many years, and what I loved about working with students was seeing a fire for God ignite in their hearts. Zeal for the Lord. And there's just something about young people, when they get on fire for the Lord, that it just ignites something in us old folks. I love it. I love it. But somewhere along the way, oftentimes, our zeal gets misdirected. We become distracted by the things of this world. Most people know I'm a crazy sports fan. But sports can be a terrible distraction if you allow it to be. If your commitment to sports as a player, as a parent, or as a fan takes priority over your worship and service to the Lord, you are what James calls in chapter 1, a double-minded man. And many today are like that picture that he talks about in James 1.6, that are like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. 
That's what our lives look like when we are distracted, when we have misdirected zeal. I'm with God one day, and then I'm distracted by this other thing the next day. And let's be honest, we must be the most distracted people in the history of the world. I mean, with our cell phones buzzing, with every type of advertising coming at us nonstop, we all have spiritual ADD. But what we need, if we're going to thrive in this life, is a singular focus, a singular vision, an undistracted mind, and that is only Christ. Paul says in Philippians 3.13, Brother, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but listen, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul knew that he had to center his life around a singular focus. And he made it clear that my singular focus is nothing other than to just pursue Christ with all I've got. I've got a past, and and I could spend my time beating myself up over my past. I could spend my time puffing myself up over my past, but none of that matters now. All that matters is this, Jesus Christ. That's going to be my singular focus in life. David says something that I think is pretty hard for a lot of us to really conceive. In Psalm 27, verse 4, he says, One thing I have asked the Lord, this is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. One thing, to seek him in his temple. Can you imagine walking into your church with no watch on? With no concept of how long you're going to be here. And your goal is to just be here as long as you possibly can. That's what David had. That was his desire. To just spend as much time as he possibly could worshiping Jesus in his house. If you are distracted or double-minded, determined to make worship and service to Jesus Christ your one goal, your one prize, your one desire, your one thing. Finally, people wander from the church and from God because they become disqualified. Can a person be disqualified from Christ? No. No. We are all prone to wander. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. A person in ministry can be disqualified from leadership. An unrepentant sinner can be removed from the membership of the church. But no one can be disqualified from the family of God. But what I'm talking about here is the feeling, the feeling that I've gone too far, that I've fallen too deep, 
That if anyone found out about the things that I have in my dark closet, that I would never be welcomed, loved, accepted again. And so people find themselves in a place where they say, I don't want to step into a church family. I don't want to step into a a church service because when I do, I feel like an imposter. When I do, I feel like I am being a fake. Because if anybody knew what was really going on inside of me, they would never love me. They would never want me here. Shame and guilt cause many to retreat from the fellowship because they feel like they do not belong. Listen to what Micah chapter 7 says. Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance, who does not retain his anger forever because he delights in loving devotion? He will again have compassion on us. He will vanquish our iniquities. You will cast out all our sins into the depths of the sea. I've heard that expression, the sea of forgetfulness. That that what Jesus did for us on the cross was Jesus vanquished our iniquities. He destroyed it on the cross so that we could come to him, we could bring our sins to him at the cross, and it would be like casting them out into a sea of forgetfulness. So when Jesus looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He doesn't remember your sin. He doesn't bring up your sin over and over again. Psalm 103 says, He does not deal with us according to our sin, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. There's this thing that happens inside of us. When we get tripped up and trapped in sin, where we think to ourselves, the best thing I can do is I can just go and hide in the darkness. That's not the voice of God. That's not the message of Jesus. Jesus says, when you get tripped and trapped by sin, don't hide in the darkness. Step into the light. Come to the body, the family of God. And in that place, you will find acceptance, forgiveness, restoration. As far as, from the, as the east is from the west, so Jesus will remove your sins from you. If you feel if you, you have been disqualified from God's family, repent of your sins and remember that God's forgiveness is greater than your sin and God's compassion is greater than your rebellion. 
So all of us are wandering. Or we all have a loved one who is a wanderer. Our mission is to go after the wanderers and bring them back. So James says, whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is a matter of life and death. But let me be clear. We are not saviors. We are messengers and we are friends. That's what Jesus has called us to be. If you try to take on the burden of being someone's savior, it will crush you. Only Jesus has shoulders strong enough to carry that cross. You cannot be someone's savior. But what you can do is you can point them to the one who can save them. You can tell them that there is room at the foot of the cross for them. That is our calling, not to be a savior, but to be a messenger and a friend. So how do we bring someone back? At the heart of every wanderer is a broken relationship. Don't get stuck in the mud with those that profess to have intellectual issues, doctrinal differences, or personal problems. The real, the real cause that leads someone to wander from God is always relational. It's always relational. And God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us, you and me, he's entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All followers of Jesus are called to the ministry of reconciliation. All followers of Jesus are called to proclaim the message of reconciliation. So how do we do it? How do we help someone be reconciled to God? Or how do we help a believer be reconciled to the church? Reconciliation requires, number one, empathy and understanding. Empathy and understanding. I can guarantee you this. No one has ever been nagged back to Jesus. No one has ever been bullied back to Jesus. No one has ever been shamed back to Jesus. No one has ever been guilted back to Jesus. We need to stop and we need to listen and we need to understand the reasons why someone is wandering. And we need to feel compassion for their wounds. Many of their wounds are 
relational and arguing and trying to convince them to return without addressing those issues will be futile. When someone feels understood and deeply cared for, they are more open to hear the message of love that we have for them in Christ. Number two, reconciliation requires humility and sacrificial love. Humility and sacrificial love. When a person tells you that you have hurt them, when they accuse you of letting them down, betraying them, wounding them, the natural response is to get defensive and to deflect, right? But humility and sacrificial love says, I'm going to take those missiles. I'm going to take those words, and I'm going to absorb them for you. I'm going to, I'm going to wear you down with my love for you. I'm going to continue to love you because hurt people hurt people. And only the ones strong enough to stand in the gap and take fire will wear down the wanderer's defenses with love. Number three, reconciliation requires confession and forgiveness. If we have caused a brother or sister, a son or a daughter to wander, we should be ready to confess our sins and seek forgiveness. As Christians, we should be the best confessors in the world. We should be better than anyone else at confessing our sin. And yet sometimes we're the worst. When a dad learns how his words caused pain in his son or daughter's life, he shouldn't defend but decide to own his own contribution to the problem. Confess his sins and explicitly ask to be forgiven by his son or daughter. The first move of confession may open up the door for reciprocal repentance. Other times, believers may need to confess on behalf of the body of Christ. Maybe it's not you that they have an issue with, but it's a group of people or a church or a pastoral leader or something like that. And it may be that you need to ask for forgiveness on behalf of the church. Perhaps you might say something like this. I am so sorry you went through that. That is awful and wrong. No one should ever have to experience something like that. Can I ask on behalf of the church, will you forgive us for what happened to you? I don't want to see you separated from the family of God because of this. You will be amazed how making a, a, a statement of confession on behalf of the church can break down walls and open hearts. Number four, reconciliation requires restoration and celebration. The zenith of the story in the prodigal son 
is the moment that the father sees the son coming from a long distance. And at that moment, it says that the father pulled up his outer garment and began to run towards the son. And when he got to the son, he opened his arms and embraced the son. He welcomed him home and he celebrated the son's return. When a wanderer comes back to God, when a wanderer comes back to our fellowship, our response should always be to open up our arms and say, welcome home, not cross our arms and say, where have you been? Do not be like the older brother in the story who couldn't get over himself that he had done it better than the other guy. Why are they getting all the attention? I've been here every Sunday. I've been working in the nursery, changing diapers, for heaven's sake. And they're getting celebrated? Don't be like the older brother. I'm going to ask the worship band to come up as we wrap this up. And I want to ask you this question. How much is a soul worth to God? How much is a soul worth to God? I think Jesus answered this question in a different way. When he said these words, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? And what Jesus was saying, and what I want us to understand about this, is in the economy of God, winning back the soul of a wanderer is worth more than winning the Powerball lottery. So imagine this. If you won a lottery, let's just say $100 million, what would the level of your excitement be? What would you do to celebrate such an amazing piece of good news? And Jesus says this, bringing back the soul of a wanderer is worth far more than that. That's why Jesus said that, In heaven, when a sinner comes home, there is a celebration that takes place in heaven that is greater than anything that this world has ever known. Bringing back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul and cover a multitude of sins. An amazing grace is the only force in the universe that can cover a multitude of sins. Jesus covered our debt and paid the price on the cross. There will be a day where every single one of us will stand before God and we will have to come under judgment for everything that we've done. Can you imagine just a scroll moving, covering every sin, every thought, every selfish motivation, and knowing that you have to be accountable for that? But in that moment, Jesus will step in and he will say, because of his faith, because of her faith in me, I have covered it. That debt is paid. 
The sin is erased. It's forgotten. One might say, Lord, do you see all these sins? How is it possible that you could forgive me? And Jesus will just simply say, welcome home. Welcome home. My love has covered a multitude of sins. In this time of response and prayer, we're going to be taking the Lord's Supper, communion, and that is a representation of this beautiful picture of the gospel that we've been talking about this morning. Jesus said, drink this drink, this bl- my blood, for the forgiveness of your sins. And my body has been broken so that you can be made whole. That's what we celebrate when we come up and we take the bread and the wine. Take time to celebrate that and remember that today. But I want to give you a secondary invitation this morning. I asked Rich to bring the cross down on the floor for us this morning. Because I'm wondering if there are some wanderers here today. And there is room at the foot of the cross for you. So if you are wandering in your heart. You know that you're not following God. You're not walking in the footsteps of Jesus right now. I just want to invite you to come up at some point during our remaining time and just place your hand on the cross for a moment. And it could be that today God has laid a wanderer on your heart. A son, a daughter, a brother, a sister, a friend, a relative, but somebody that's walked away. They're wandering. And I want to give you that same invitation. I want to ask you just to imagine holding their hand, walk to the cross, and leave their name with Jesus on the cross. That's the invitation today. Whether you're a wanderer or burdened for a wanderer, to bring it to the cross. Jesus is the Savior. He is the one who can heal, and He is the one that is always waiting with arms open, saying, welcome home. Welcome home. You who are weary, welcome home. Let's pray. God, we rejoice because the gospel is as as real and alive today as it has ever been. And the invitation to come home is powerfully given in this moment. Lord, if there's anyone here that's weary and they've been wandering, they've been doubting, they've been disillusioned, they've been disheartened, maybe they feel like they've been disqualified, Lord, I pray that they would just come and put their hand on the cross for just a moment and surrender all of that at the foot of Jesus. And Lord God, I know that there are many of us, parents, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, that are feeling a great burden for a wanderer in our lives. Lord, I pray that we would just 
in our hearts, carry that person to the cross this morning and then be ready to walk out of this place and go. Go after the the one. To be willing to surrender and sacrifice and do whatever it takes, just like the soldiers in Saving Private Ryan. Because there is nothing worth more than the soul of a wanderer who has been restored to Christ. We pray this and we ask this in Jesus' name.